certainly have fears that there is a serial killer at loose in Perth. Sarah Spears, Jane Rimmer, Kira Glennon. And every time you saw a young girl walking by, you think, oh God, is she going to be the next victim? Now, one man stands accused. If police are right and Edwards is the Claremont serial killer, he's been hiding in plain sight for 20 years. The prosecution say that underneath Kira Glennon's damaged fingernails was the DNA of Bradley Edwards. A video of how that DNA was collected was played in court today. This is Claremont in Conversation. Welcome to Day 27 with Natalie Bongiolo, Tim Clark and Alison Fan. Um, this is, I guess, an upsetting evidence today with the details of Kira's post-mortem, but it's also absolutely crucial to the prosecution's case. Well, it um, was upsetting listening to the details, but I suspect every post-mortem would be upsetting and it's just that they have to go through every single step of the way uh, to prove uh, the prosecution's case and what was there, what wasn't, what was mishandled, what wasn't. Um, And they did do that, exactly. We heard every single um, step of the body and the voices being recorded. Of course, we didn't see any of the pictures, we didn't see any of the vision, but listening to the audio um, was quite confronting. Yeah, it was the grim reality, really. I suppose today of um, of what is what what it entails when you have a homicide victim, and you not only have to obviously confirm the the cause of death or, or, or try to, but uh, in this case, everyone was fully aware of the importance of of probably every piece of uh, detritus on the body, and obviously parts of the body itself and uh, as Ali said we didn't see but we heard enough t- via the, the, the post-mortem video that was played in court to uh, to get a real understanding of, of, of what that process entailed and uh, yeah and it wasn't pretty. I think the um, most startling part of uh, listening to it today is how the procedures have changed over the years and Uh, We're talking a long time ago when things weren't as stringent and, as we've said before, they weren't aware of DNA and how they uh, just rinsed the uh, various utensils when they got a bit too, um, he used the word slippery, because uh, mainly for protection of themselves, they were using scalpels. But... um, Washing, the, rinsing the gloves and putting them back on again, and rinsing the scissors, r- rinsing the scalpels and scissors when they got too dirty, and putting them back on. Uh, today, in this era of where nothing is reused, um, it, it's quite interesting listening to how it was back then. Well, the witness was a very experienced mortuary technician. Can you tell us a bit about him? Yes. Yeah, so this was a chap called Robert McDermott, and he was the mortuary technician at first, but then became the mortuary manager at uh, at the state mortuary, which is in the basement of one of the main hospitals here in Perth, the QE2 Medical Centre. And uh, he, uh, as he was elevated from mortuary technician to mortuary manager, he was basically in charge of the mortuary technicians, and it was his responsibility to make sure that everything that needed to be in place for a post-mortem was in place, including the cleanliness of the uh, of the mortuary itself, the availability and cleanliness and sterilisation of all the equipment that might be used, um, and then it was also his job to actually assist the forensic pathologist to um, take exhibits. And in Kira's case, um, he was hugely uh, important and, and base central to the to the 
process because, as we heard, it was he who um, cut Kira's fingernails off and it was also he who had the uh, onerous task of removing her hair, um, pieces of her hair at first and then, in fact, the whole hair mass and he went into some gory detail about how, how that procedure was actually done so uh, and he was hugely experienced he said that he'd, he'd been involved at some uh, stage or at some point in probably 10,000 post-mortems over over his career um, and so you probably wouldn't get a more experienced mortuary technician in in Australia I wouldn't have thought and uh, and he was uh, he's retired now but he he flown flown in from from Victoria where he lives now to uh, to give evidence today and and it was he and, and only he we heard of from today um now we know that these these nail clippings are very very crucial to the case um were there a certain number of clippings and can you talk to us about what those clippings were and what was found underneath the nails well the defense didn't uh question that very closely um the defense didn't spend as much time as i expected they would uh as they did yesterday uh, he, he was just mainly talking about how difficult it was to clip the fingernail and he had to use a different pair of scissors. But um, the I think the importance it was, it was just what was around that might have um, contaminated. He, it, Justice Hall actually asked even what colour the towels were that they were used. And he said they were white, but they had a blue strip in them. Uh, that wasn't pursued either. It... Um, it wasn't as intensive as I would have expected from the um, defence side. No, uh, that's true. And given the importance of of this evidence, and let's make no bones about it, this is the crucial piece of evidence, the absolute um, crucial piece of evidence. So during the post-mortem, it, was, it had been explained and was explained more fully today that a clipping from every one of Kira's ten fingernails was, was taken one after the other, using uh, at first Mr McDermott said a long uh, curved pair of scissors uh, as I'm sure listeners have, have, have seen on um, in their in their own lives and on on, on television but then uh, because of the damage to some of Kira's fingernails he actually changed the, the pair of scissors some way through the process and so he went from the thumbnail of Kira's left hand and he moved did all five on that hand and then moved to the other hand and the first one and the third one are the most important ones because they were the ones that we've heard were broken um, the thumbnail in particular broken basically down as far as it could go almost to the almost to the quick and we could hear quite clearly on the video um, Mr McDermott saying to uh, the assembled staff that he was having real trouble in, in, in getting a clipping, a cutting from that first fingernail. But then you can also hear him being directed, well, go back, have another go, um, which he did. And he obviously um, succeeded in getting um, something, but not much. And then he proceeded to go through um, thumb, point of finger, middle finger, ring finger, little hand, uh, little finger on the left hand and the same on the right and they were all given a sequential number. Firstly, the clippings were all put in individual yellow-topped pots, um, which we'll hear a lot about, yellow-topped containers, um, small uh, screw cap um, with a yellow top on, and they were all put into individual 
so there's 10 of those and what we'll hear a lot about in the next few weeks and months is that they were all given um, an individual number AJM which are the initials of the police officer who was collecting the evidence and given a number AJM 40 was the thumb of the left hand the first one taken the one that had he had real trouble getting and then he proceeded to 41 42 43 all the way through to 49 AJM 40 and 42 were the fingernails that were eventually sent to um, the UK along with 46 and 48 um, and they were take they were sent to the UK to the FSS um, the state owned forensic and with government controlled forensic uh, service in the UK uh, many many years later 2008 that was when this really intensive what they call low copy number um, DNA testing was done on it and that is when the fateful DNA of this as then unknown male um, came back and so this is why the the genesis of these fingernails all the way through to where they were stored who handled them who took them where when they were opened if they were opened is so important because any uh, any thought or any suspicion that there might be any reason or um, ability for them to be contaminated is obviously absolutely crucial to both the prosecution and the defence. And I guess that's what you mentioned earlier, Ali, that um, he, he was asked about that. Mr Jovic did ask about the scissors and the process and um, where the scissors were moving around and what happened to them. And what was there, um, things were in the background and where they were placed on, I think, it, on a ladder at mm, one stage. At near, one stage, yes. Where I think the photographer was the was standing. Was um, he asked if they were washed after they'd gone onto the ladder before they were used again? Oh, or? It, it just seemed they were rinsed whenever it, the need came up. Mm. Um, and I think um, Justice Hall did have a few questions also about the containers and how they were closed. Were they pressed down by hand? They were just simple plastic, or what did he describe them as? The food, you get the Chinese food in, the plastic yeah, um, yeah, things. And just did you press on them? Did you press on them with your bare hands? The same with the, with the buckets. And we were shown photographs of the uh, containers with the yellow tops and the labelling and so forth. And, of course, um, also at the centre of all this was the hair. Mm. And he said that it was one of the few times that he had seen uh, so much emphasis placed on the hair. Mm. Yeah. And... Uh, these yellow top containers will become uh, are crucial and, and will become crucial um, not so much for their construction but their continuity after they left the, the post-mortem uh, how they were labeled where they were stored um, and who had custody of them um, at what point and the same will go for Kira's hair which was um, uh, I this is going to be a bit graphic but it, he the mess. Mr McDermott yeah. described how rather than it being cut away it was actually peeled away and then a, a, a string was placed on the back of the hair um, to show where, where it had been close to the neck um, and then it was placed in a bag which was then placed in a bucket um, and this exactly the same as the fingernails this will become crucial in continuity wise because of all the fibers that um, the prosecution say were later much much later found to um, have come from 
Kira's here, um, both blue and grey, which relates to the work pants and to the car. And yesterday, of course, we talked about the journey of that hair and, and how far it went and mm. where it went around the world. Mm. We also heard in an earlier podcast this week that um, a, a mass of Jane Rimmer's hair had been um, shampooed and given to the family. Mm. A, I a don't think a mass. I don't think well, they yeah, used that a was mass. the lock of hair. A lock, yes, of, the lock hair. of hair, yeah. A lock or of part hair of it, yeah. um, in an act of compassion. Did you find out today where anything similar happened for the Glennon family? We yeah, well, we did, and we, well, we did, and we didn't. Uh, there, it, it was, just, yeah, it was, it mentioned. was certainly mentioned, and there was a receipt of of a of a, a portion of hair that had been described as being filtered. And when Mr. McDermott was asked what filtered usually meant, he said, "Well, this this is when it's taken and brushed and has all the detritus." taking out of it so it wasn't said as explicitly as it was in jane's case earlier in the week that the, that the police officer basically said oh yes i took it home and shampooed it and took it to jane's family um but we got the distinct impression that this this had happened uh, again but obviously mr mcdermott wasn't directly involved in in that um if it had happened um but the the receipt that we that was tendered as an exhibit w- would tended to um, suggest that it had. And uh, one of you mentioned earlier that um, Mr Jovic in his cross-examination had been talking about the various things that he could see in the footage and Mm. he asked about something that he could see in the background. What was that? It seemed to be another body. Well, we were talking about a morgue and and it's the state's mortuary that handles everyone. So um, it appeared that something was on a gurney in the background um, and more well, that didn't follow through. I don't think they went into it. They didn't go. Either. They mm. didn't go into it much. But Mr. Jovic definitely made a point of pointing it out that there appeared to be a body bag, at least in the background of of the of the the, um, the post mortem video, which had been pixelated as well. Um, so. <laughs> It, w- it wouldn't be clear whether the judge even could see and those who could see the video could see exactly what that was and we certainly couldn't but that was certainly the implication in court that there, there may have been another body um, somewhere in the vicinity whether that was behind a screen or a, 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 you know a, a, another area of the of the mortuary we simply don't know and I guess you know as you said it's what's to be expected yeah they're mm. in a mortuary but it, it must be very difficult I still think for the family who Mm. would be present in the courtroom today to be hearing all of these details and all these extra details that they quite possibly wouldn't have known before. There's only uh, Dennis Glennon and his other daughter um, attending this. Um, They obviously have the choice to be there or not and I suspect he wants to be there to hear everything and um, apart from from the Glennons the other family haven't been there. No, but they were both there, Dennis and Denise, mm. today. And as we've said so many times, you can only um, you can only sympathise and only imagine what it must be like to to hear those details about um, someone who was uh, so loved by by them and by so many others. Present in court. Oh yeah, it's, I mean it's been another long week, obviously. Um, and yeah, I, I, you can. I, I did glance at Dennis and Denise at points during the morning and they were they were definitely uh, definitely there to support each other 
Um, but I think we can take from Dennis's continued presence, I mean, almost uh, constant presence now at the trial that he, he's determined to, he, I mean, he's been, he's been involved, out, yes. he's been involved mm. for so long that you just get the distinct impression that he, that he wants to see it through right to the end now and, uh, and you can only admire him for that. You may have mentioned it already. How old is Mr Glennon? Would he be 70s, yeah. late 60s? Mm, I don't well, know. Early 70s, late 60s, early 70s. And also, we were also uh, t- um, asked today about the progress mm. of this going, because, of course, the, the, the crucial part, as we are talking about, will be um, argued extensively by the various DNA experts um, on the handling of all of this. This is all leading up to the the total DNA forensic experts, not just those witnessing the scene. And, and while today was very gruesome, I suspect it was just another post-mortem and what they do for everyone. Uh, it's just that not everyone's post-mortem is, is being relayed publicly. Mm. Um, but they were talking about the progress. Well, yeah. Yeah, and um, it was... Uh, yeah, I must say it's been a long week. Uh, we've got more forensic evidence to come next week concerning postmortems, and then it sounds like after that we'll be moving on to Pathwest staff, and then um, and then the the DNA evidence proper um, the middle of middle of next month. So um, so that will be when the um, when the whips will really start to start to crack in terms of um, the, um, the the evidence that is central. To the, to the to the Kira's case and, and obviously to the other two. And with um, Mr. Jovic's questioning of the witness, um, was there any other details that he picked up in the video that that he questioned him on? Yeah, there was. There was uh, at one point he questioned why um, Kira's body was had actually been placed on the floor. Hmm. Um, at one point. Uh, Again, we have to stress we can't see this, so we're only getting it secondhand. But it appeared that Kira's body had been taken off the gurney and, and placed on a green sheet on the floor. And Mr. McDermott explained that that was purely for uh, photographic purposes, which was why the ladder was also there. So the person who was photographing proceedings could get up onto the ladder and be able to get a picture of the Entire body, in body, total, yeah. in situ, um, uh, obviously to record exactly what it looked like um, as 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 a body um, in in total, um, and then he explained when the fingernails were being cut, for instance. Um, he ha- was having to kneel down to do that, so then we can assume that the body had been replaced back onto the gurney um, when all the other um, examination and, and exhibits were being taken. There was one other aspect which came from nowhere and was actually led by the prosecution was what sort of car yeah. did this mortuary manager drive? And he said a, a Holden Commodore station wagon, which of course, as we've heard... <laughs> is quite again crucial to this case but um i got the impression that that came as a bit of a surprise to the prosecution because mr hollingsworth so brad (laughs) hollingsworth who's one of um carmel barber gallows um uh, offsiders one of one of her colleagues um had was leading this evidence today and when it came to the re-examination which is the prosecution's sort of last go after the cross-examination the 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 prosecution get to have another go and he tried uh, mr hollingsworth tried really hard to try and pinpoint exactly what car he was driving at that time 
and uh, um, Mr. McDermott had, had previously said, "Oh, my memory's not the best because he's he, you know, he's, he's in his seventies and he couldn't actually remember." And so Mr. Hollingsworth's parting shot was, "Well, just leave that with us." So you can imagine that there might be some uh, distinctly uh, um, it, f- some frantic phone calls to the um, the licensing department to try and pinpoint Eliminate exactly <laughs> what um, Mr. McDermott's vehicle was. On the fourth of April, nineteen ninety-seven, um, because the fibres from well, the insert, yeah, you never know, do mm, you? you yeah. never know. Mm. And it's interesting because you've discussed in previous podcasts that you know the prosecution and the defence don't really like to ask questions that they don't know the answer to. Exactly, and it, I mean, it just it just popped up, and yeah. our ears certainly pricked up when we heard it, and um, and obviously it, it it piqued the interest of Mr. Hollingsworth as well because he he, he did try to maybe eliminate that as a possible mm. um, avenue but uh, was un- uh, unable to so um, as I say I think we might hear a little bit more about that You mentioned how uh, you know upsetting really that this um, video footage probably must have been um, you couldn't see it mm. but Bradley Edwards could see it um, Well he could see it if he wanted to but right. I got again got the distinct impression today that he didn't want to and um, why does the um court usher come back each time and stand on the side of him and look to check what's coming on his screen she does that she's done that several times because, because that would be if he can't see it he's got to have the option to see it okay and if he doesn't if he, if he can't see it then i i'm i'm she of the impression they would stop the trial and make sure he could see it okay. because as an accused person, you you have the entitlement to see every yeah. piece of evidence that's put against you, and this is obviously quite an important piece of evidence. But saying that, again, I've mentioned it earlier in the week, and I watched Mr. Edwards for quite a while this morning as it was being played. He took his glasses off, and he was deliberately not looking at the screen. Mm. Um, he 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 wasn't taking any notes. He wasn't. Uh, it, it seemed to me, and it's only my opinion, he, he was making a conscious effort not to have to look at that, and and uh, of course that's his right. And as we've already said, it, it would be disturbing to, to for anyone to see. Um, mm, that's right. So Very few people would want to no, see. No, absolutely, it's absolutely. So you've mentioned um, a little bit about what's to come. Do you mm. know exactly what's happening on Monday? Uh, not exactly, but um, as you see, Mr. Barbara Gallo was asked um, by the judge, "How are we going? Where are we at? What? What? I mean, just a general sort of uh, roadmap." And so it will be more forensic um, type evidence next week. The one person we haven't heard from so far is is um, Officer McCulloch, who is the M in AJM forty forty one forty two. So I would very much anticipate that we would hear from him. Because he is an important, very important witness. Because it, it was he who took custody of the samples, both hair and nail, um, before they went to uh, Miss Laurie Webb, um, who then took them to Path West, and and they were under his auspices. Um, and there will be uh, there will be various, uh, maybe other mortuary staff. We don't know. There were other staff in the in the postmortem that we heard names of today that haven't given evidence yet. But that's going to take including Laurie Webb. Uh, well, that, that's what we think is coming next. So that, 
then the week after next so that that will be so australia day is on the 26th which is the sunday january 26th in australia there's a public holiday on the monday and then we think that week will then begin to hear from path pathwest staff who are scientists and laurie webb is very senior amongst those well, that wraps up week six of the trial. Thank you, everyone, for your feedback and questions. We're at claremontpodcast at wanews.com.au. Thanks to Alison and Tim for your time. And, Tim, you'll have much more in the paper tomorrow. Hope so. <laughs> have a good, good weekend, everyone. We'll be back Monday for week seven. Join us then. This podcast was hosted by Natalie Bonjolo, produced by Kate Ryan and Alicia Preedy, and recorded in the studios of Seven West Media. Audio files were provided from the archives of the Seven Network and the West Australian. Sign up for daily emails and all the latest on the Claremont trial at thewest.com.au. Enjoying this podcast? If the story behind the headline matters to you, then you can count on thewest.com.au to deliver. For more on Claremont the trial, follow the live blog, watch the nightly news updates, and sign up for daily email updates at thewest.com.au. Subscribe now for just a dollar a day at thewest.com.au.